Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I'm so glad that you have come around for this. This is going to be a great show. And this is the <laughs> second part of a series I'm doing. Actually, it's a second part of a six-part series I'm doing. Uh, the first two episodes are centered around the denomination of the Salvation Army. Then eventually we're going to look at the Church of Nazarene. And then finally, the United Methodist Church. And we're listening to progressive and conservative voices from within that denom those <laughs> denominations thinking about their future. And there are critical questions and there are critical things happening in each of these denominations this summer. So I'm delighted to have a guest with me in just a second to represent the conservative side. If you didn't get to hear the progressive side, we had Major Christina Tyson this past week, and this podcast is coming out a little earlier in the week so that these things, these two conversations can be closer together. But before we get into that information, I want to make sure you know that more to the story is brought to you by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. And we do that through a variety of programs. We have lay initiatives, certificates, bachelor's degrees, master's, MAs, MDivs, doctorate of ministry degrees. We would love for you to check that out. We're really thankful that right now we have just been approved. We're the first school approved to um, to have a course of study for the Global Methodist Church. And right now we have 115 people who signed up for that course of study just in the last six weeks, in addition to serving dozens of other denominations within the kind of pan-Wesleyan world. Also, if you go to my website, andymillerthe3rd.com, that's andymillerii.com, there's a couple of things there that I want to clue people into. I've had a few people say they'd be interested in donating to the podcast or to more to the story ministries. Now, I've put this out there. It's available. If you'd like to make a, a donation to this podcast, it's something that, you know, I offer this free content and make it available. And I'm glad to do that. But if you take that plunge and you go and you make a gift, there's an option to give monthly. And if you sign up to give monthly, even if it's a small amount, I'll send you one of my books. I have two books out and another one coming out this summer on the book of Jude. I would love to love to share that with you. And many of you listen to my podcast know too, I have an email list that regularly uh, shares content that comes from this kind of pan Wesleyan perspective. And if you sign up for that email list, you get Five Steps to Deeper Teaching and Preaching, which is a 45-minute video session that I have and an eight-page guide to help you go deeper in scripture so that you can proclaim it in a faithful and creative way. It also has listed courses available there. And then there's opportunity to engage me. If there's if you're interested in having me come to speak at an event, I'll be at I'll be at um, where am I gonna be? Indian Springs this summer, the lead conference in Western Pennsylvania. Um, Olathe, Kansas, and I have a couple of openings where there's a couple of months in the fall that are available. I would love to come and share with your your church, pastors group, whatever it is. Um, just make that available. That's at andymillerthe3rd.com. Okay, now the advertisement's over. I am glad to welcome into the podcast my friend, my former boss, Commissioner Willis Howell, who's a retired officer from the Salvation Army. He recently retired from being the territorial commander of the Southern Territory in the United States, and he also teaches now at the Evangelion Booth College. Willis, welcome to the podcast. Good to be with you again, Andy, and I'm sorry we've got blowers going around the building right now, the, the lawn people. Anytime you're going to do anything that's video like this, somehow the blowers come out, so we'll have to contend with that. We'll just have to deal with it. That's okay. Well, you sound good to me, and I'm really thankful to have you on here. Now, I had thought of you an option, but I wanted when I was ha when this had this idea of kind of presenting two voices from e either side of um, denominations. I had actually particularly the, a Nazarene situation in mind because there's a recent book that's come out that's like led led the Nazarenes to be in a moment where they have to take some action. And I, but I asked some people, well, who should I get on conservative side of the Salvation Army? And your name came up a few times and your name came to my mind as well. So I'm really thankful you're willing to take this on. And I know that the labels are not always helpful. And you, we might Thank not want to be say, oh, I'm the conservative or, or Christina, who, you know, when you served in New Zealand, well, she, yes. yeah, particularly wasn't excited probably about being called the progressive. But I think it's just like a helpful categories, even though we might not be completely comfortable with them. Yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And yes, I know Christina and Keith well. We've been to their house. We've we've had many, many discussions. And I've got all the respect in the world for Christina and Keith uh, Tyson. Beautiful people. Yeah, she, it was. We had a good conversation. And like I said to her at the end of the conversation, I think we were, even though we very much disagreed. Um, my goal in the, these interviews 
is not to debate people. My goal is not to debate you, but I want to give an opportunity for clarity. And I think that if we have clarity, that will then produce an environment where it's easier for people to make decisions mm -hmm. and to understand what's going on. And I didn't think it would be helpful to put people in a debate. I just wanted to be able to give this type of venue for people to respond to the same question. Now, I had 10 questions originally that I sent to you and Christina, but Christina and I only got to seven of them. So I'm just going to start with those seven <laughs> questions with you as well. So, Fair enough. So the one of the reasons that this comes up now is that there's a, a big move happening in this. And one of the reasons I wanted this to come out now is something that you participated in. I'll, I won't get you the first question yet, but the high council and you participated in one high council as a territory right. commander. And there's, this is like maybe the main democratic function of the Salvation Army. And so I think it's helpful to kind of, this is the moment maybe in Salvation Army timeline, timeframe where we think about the future and like what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So that's part of why we wanted to have this happen at this time. Okay. First question. What role does scripture play in the life of a salvationist? And the second part is this. And do you believe that in it, there is a divine rule that speaks universally to the beliefs, values, and practices of a people from every generation and culture? Well, now, clearly, yourself being a salvationist, you're even quoting part of the Salvation Army's first doctrine, that they're, uh, the scriptures of the Old and New Testament given by inspiration of God, and that they only constitute the divine rule of Christian faith and practice. So, yes, I would say that there is uh, very definitely uh, the, the primary role, the guiding role, the defining role of who and what we are as a Salvation Army has to be grounded in and established by what we read, what we see, what we understand in Scripture. Absolutely. And is that something that transcends time, like the even the, the meaning of Scripture? I think Scripture is, in fact, transcendent. We know that it's God-breathed. Uh, yeah. We're told that, that God, God speaks it, God breathes it through humanity. Yes, uh, no question about that. But it's no less inspired. Um, our Handbook of Doctrine very clearly uh, indicates and, and, and says in, in no uncertain terms, the authority of Scripture overshadows all other authority. So for the Salvationists, it would seem that we are saying that we adhere to, that we are holding to the position that says the authority of Scripture supersedes the whims of culture, the ever-shifting current of culture, that the that the the authority of scripture transcends personal tastes, however we like that or not. Scripture supersedes my own personal preference, uh, whatever it is that's popular or not popular. Scripture is the word of God. And we respond from that in coordination with and in keeping with what scripture teaches. Beautiful. Now, some people might suggest, well, well, Willis, isn't that just a nice thing? Um, you can just make it mean whatever you want. Now, here, here's the idea, and particularly as it relates to issues of human sexuality. Some would suggest that Scripture was just the, the writers of Scripture didn't have as much enlightenment as we have. And I've heard, I mean, I've heard people say, uh, liberal scholars say, well, yes, Jesus affirmed marriage, Jesus would have been against same-sex behavior, but Jesus was just wrong. I mean, is there ever anything that the Bible just gets wrong? Well, I'm, I'm a little taken by your, your statement that uh, Jesus is just wrong. I don't believe I, that. Of course, I'm just... Yeah, want, no, no, yeah. I, I think that anybody who lands on that kind of a conclusion, um, well, you're you've already stepped off the mark. Um, who is it? Tony Evans, I think, who has a line along this line. I may not get him exactly right, but it's the idea. Uh, there are two views on anything, God's view and everybody else's. And when everybody else's view differs from God's view, everybody else is wrong. And so to all of a sudden discover or to declare, yeah, Jesus, he comes really close on so many things, but on this I think he's just that far off. Um, first off, I think that's, well, I, I, I think there's an element of hubris 
in there. I think there's there's an arrogance. Um, and furthermore, well, uh, now I'll maybe get into that at another time. But I just, if you if you start from the premise of maybe there's something in there not correct, I think you're on slippery ground to begin with. Does that mean we understand everything? Absolutely not. When I don't understand, I conclude that the problem is with me, not with right. scripture. Right. Now, back to your other point, there are there are certainly scholars on every side. It's not just both sides. There's all sorts of sides of issues who are going to uh, parse Hebrew and Greek verbs, and uh, here's what it means, and examine culture. Okay, and it's going to be a theological Baskin and Robbins 31 flavors. You know, what flavor do you happen to like? And so I find it most consistent that while first century or earlier, they they may not have the, the cultural sophistication we have, but they were not ignorant people. These are still very smart, brilliant philosophers, thinkers, uh, and I to to dismiss them out of hand to say, well, they probably didn't know what we're talking about. Right. right. I, I, I'm not on that page. Yeah, that's really helpful. And th this, this really is a hermeneutical question. Like, how do we come to interpretation? Just because there are multiple interpretations doesn't mean that all interpretations are equal. The text has a meaning. So well, nor is it, nor is it which interpretation do I like? Yeah, sure. Which interpretation is most consistent with scripture? We compare scripture to scripture. Yeah. Which interpretation is most in keeping with what we know and understand of the character of God to the point that we can know and understand the character of God? So weighing all that together, which interpretation? Follow the evidence of the scripture as opposed to which one suits my case better. Right, right. That can definitely be a challenge. Okay, that's great. The next question I have is related to an important matter that's happening in the life of the Salvation Army. And honestly, at every denomination, this is something that people are thinking about, and that's the nature of polity or governance. So there has been there have been moves towards more accountability in the Salvation Army. Sometimes there's moved towards more democratic functions, sometimes less. We have a hierarchical system in the Salvation Army. Do you think that there needs to be any update to the governance structure of the Salvation Army? Let, let me come running at this another angle first before I, and you may need to bring me back onto the subject. Okay. I've been in settings where people are wanting to criticize hierarchy. It seems to me, this is just my opinion, hierarchy in and of itself is neutral. It's a tool, it's a system. And tools and systems can be used for good or ill. I think that our hierarchical system can be problematic only when we make it problematic. Interesting. I think that it helps us in many ways, and especially I do like the very um, militaristic, the, the martial aspect of the Salvation Army. I like that image personally. Uh, so I... I don't think there is a problem with hierarchy in and of itself, but as anything, once humanity gets a hold of it, well, it can be perverted, it can be twisted, it can be it can be used for harm. But the system itself, I don't think, is the problem. I think when we are all of a sudden manipulating the the position we have, the the power we might have, when we choose to not be accountable. So I very much appreciate the accountability aspect of this. I think there's danger there, part one. Part two, Yeah, I think there is, uh, and, and this is happening somewhat organically. It's I think it's being more and more codified, but it's happening more organically across Army World. I think there is a, a benefit to not just listening to what is being said at the grassroots, but inviting that input. Um, this is all part of consultation. It's not negotiation, it's mm -hmm. consultation. And I think there's a key difference there. And so I, I very much enjoy hearing what the people on the, the frontest of the front lines 
um, what they have to say, what their take, what do you see, what are you experiencing? Speak into this decision we're making. Help us understand how how more widgets or fewer widgets impacts you in what you're doing in not just advancing the mission of the army, but advancing the kingdom in your community. As somebody who, this is, that's really helpful. As somebody who's been at the top of a system or a corporation in that matter, as a territorial <laughs> commander, you had significant opportunities to lead and influence people, but you were the top, you were the um, CEO of the corporation. And mm -hmm. um, so, but, but, but the territorial commander, the ecclesial leader of it as well. So you understand this maybe more than other people can. What does that a hierarchical system, autocratic, some would suggest, and I don't say that in a bad way, uh, what can it do well? What can it, what can it do distinctly from other systems? I think it can be more decisive. Um, yeah. The more people you add, the more cooks to the, to the kitchen, well, then the weaker the broth, I think. Um, ultimately, somebody has to make a decision. And given the amount of information that you have, what's the decision? Um, I know that you have several viewers, listeners uh, who come from international settings, so they may not know who uh, General Colin Powell was here in the United States. He had um, come up through the ranks of the U.S. Army, uh, became the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and was also uh, later on the Secretary of State uh, in the United States. In one of his books, he talks about decision-making in this kind of a setting. He says, listen, once you have 70, 75% of, of the information you think you need, make a decision because the window is going to close and all of a sudden the moment is passed. Somebody has to be decisive. Somebody has to make the decision. And more times than not, I think committees, uh, helpful as they can be for research, for information, for input, fine what's the call? And so our system, our Salvation Army system is, is such that finally the territorial commander, whoever he or she may be, it's not a decision of a committee. It's not follow we. No, it's follow me. Here's the decision. Here's where we're going. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I think this will come into play in one of the questions we have later about how we provide an opportunity for um, guarding that trust that's given to a mission and what the leader has. But we'll get to that in a minute. Before I get there, another kind of a theological question. What do you believe is necessary? What are the necessary conditions for salvation? Now, quick disclaimer, I'm not a theologian as you and so many others are. Um, I don't think I'm theologically stupid, but I'm not a theologian. However, What's necessary to salvation, it seems to me, is simple. If, if children can be saved, if, if children can come to faith in Christ, it doesn't need to be complex. How, how the salvific process works, that's a whole other matter. But understanding salvation, we used to include it, <clears throat> excuse me, got a frog here, sorry about that. We used to include it in our war cry. It used to be a regular little corner in one of, on one of the pages yeah, sure. of war cry. The ABCs of salvation. The ABCs of salvation. Acknowledge your need. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Acknowledge yeah. that there is sin in your life that has separated us from God. B, believe. Believe that Jesus Christ has come and offered a sacrifice, that he has been the substitute for the death penalty that is ours, yeah. and that his, his salvific work on the cross can be mine. Yeah. And then C, consecrate, commit yourself to him, follow along. Uh, I know that's an F, but uh, commit yourself to following, you commit your life to, to Christ. It seems to me that it is just that simple, that it is as simple as that ABC. Now, am I oversimplifying it? Well, yes, I, I suppose I am in a sense, but I don't think it needs to be overly complex. It involves acknowledging sin. It involves the Christ peace for salvation and then the commitment, the, the life that I live post-salvation. Yeah, it's beautiful. And you know, our, we have an article of faith that hits at this too. Um, Doctrine five: that re repentance toward God, 
oh, faith in our yeah. Lord Jesus Christ and regeneration by the Holy Spirit. I thought you were so, talking think, about like, the sin part. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, oh, I could, could go back there. It's all connected, of course, to, that those middle doctrines are all yeah. about soteriology. So, like, if we think about, like, repentance and sin and admitting that we have a need, like, what what's involved with that admitting we're sinners? Uh, uh, what's involved with repenting? Oh, boy. It, now, I can only speak in our Western culture. I can't speak globally. But pride in us does not want us to admit, I've fallen short. We, we find it easier to say, well, let's just accept Christ. Oh, okay. I, I can accept him. I think that falls short of merely accepting Christ. I think that we've got to confess, I have offended God. My sin, whether it's my, my, my sin nature given to us from Adam and Eve that has come down through, or my own sin. This is why, this is why little children demand their own way. And when they don't get it, they pitch a fit because it is that nature. We want our own way. And we don't like to admit we're wrong. We don't like to admit that we've fallen short. So if we can sort of downplay anything to do with, oh, I have offended a righteous God, well, then it's a whole lot easier to swallow. And so we're not big these days, church world. I'm not talking Salvation Army. I'm talking in church world. We're not as big as we used to be about acknowledging sin. And yeah. that has to be dealt with. Yes, absolutely. And that's what comes. I think that's absolutely necessary. <laughs> To you, salvation. This is great. Thank you. Thank you for being so clear, Commissioner. I appreciate you. Oh, your, clear. Your oh, yeah. Focus here. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Okay. Um, another thing related to our articles of faith is often in jeopardy. And interestingly, as I've been doing my own research into William Booth and thinking about his theology, particularly his doctrine of the church, I've been amazed at how much <laughs> he even had to deal with uh, alternate views of hell. Uh, for instance, dealing with annihilationism, dealing with uh, universalism. These were things that he was presented with on a regular basis. And people left the early Salvation Army because they didn't affirm, they didn't jive with William Booth's doctrine of hell. So here's a question. Um, is there a heaven and hell? And how does this inform the mission of the Salvation Army? I'm going to defer to Jesus on that one. <laughs> He seemed to think that there was, and I'm just going to go with him on this. Um, Jesus clearly, now did he, uh, was he talking about hell as a specific location? Okay, that's for you theologians to debate, but hell as an existence, hell as a, as, as a, um, a, a punishment, I think Jesus was very clear, and I think that William Booth was clear too. He Frequently spoke about it. I just thought of this now. So I, I should have done my homework a little bit better on this. But what was the uh, we, we use this story an awful lot when uh, when the 19th century was changing over the 20th century. Um, he was being asked, what are the main what are the chief concerns you see for this new century? You know, the one I'm talking about. Andy. Yeah. So what are the, the what are the concerns you see? And I think he rattled off five different things. But the last of them or one of them, one of the five was that a chief concern I see is the idea of heaven without hell. Right. And I think that we have very we as a culture have very much embraced that idea. Uh, yeah, we all like the idea of heaven. And we're all going there, by the way, don't you think? Because nobody's going to say, oh, I don't think. It. No, the, the cut, the cut yeah, yeah. Is somewhere just beneath me. You know? <laughs> So we all see ourselves as going. Um, and I, actually, I'd like to follow up on that in just a moment. But there is very clearly a heaven. There is very clearly a there is very clearly a place where we will be with Christ for eternity. There is very clearly a place where you are separated from God for right. eternity. And I think I think scripture is clear. We can we can gussy it up all we want. Um, but the only one who's ever been there is Jesus, and he has something to say about it. Yeah, amen. Yeah. It's interesting. You and I served together in you're the division commander when I served the Madisonville, Kentucky Corps for the Kentucky, Tennessee division. That was a great time to serve with you and your wife, Barbara. Uh, but I remember 
uh, an officer who was uh, maybe maybe wasn't an officer, actually somebody who was serving in some sort of a ministry position came and said, well, hell is just um, the reality that the drug, drug addict faces every day. Um, and so hell became equal to human pain. And, and even William Booth would say those things, but at the same time, he still affirmed an eternal state of hell, of, of punishment. I'm yeah, sorry yeah. to say like it. So go ahead. I, mean, well, I remember I, you responding really well to that. Well, I wish I would have known what I said. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> it was profound. Yes. Um, I, I think that there's times that we use hell as a comparison and right. in the drug addict situation that you described. Yes. I'm sure that is as close to hell as perhaps we can understand this side of eternity. But we're comparing the temporal to the eternal. How do they even come close? Right, whatever right. Uh, whatever this, this poor person, this, this drug-controlled person, uh, yes, I'm sure it's absolutely terrible. And we, as salvationists, as believers, we should do everything we can to stop that hellish existence. But... One day, that particular hell will perish. That temporal hell will perish. His, the hell he's going through, he or she is going through. But then you'll have to come to grips with an eternity, an eternal hell. Yeah. And I, I think that's as different as different can be. Yeah. And when that's we talk right. about the, the idea of heaven, here's where I was going to go before. Good. Everybody, everybody thinks, well, I'm good. And I'll, I'll be good enough for him. Well, who, who's good enough? Great <laughs> on a curve. I mean, yeah. what, what, how does this work exactly to be good? What, uh, so mother Teresa, was she good enough? Billy Graham, was he good enough? And if I'm not quite as good as mother Teresa or Billy Graham, uh, you know, the, have I still made the cut? Um, it's got nothing to do with good. Heaven is for people who are forgiven. Heaven is for people who have confessed their sin and accepted Jesus Christ. So it's got nothing to do with, have I earned my way? A am I good enough? Do I have enough uh, good things on this side of the, of the scale to, to outweigh the bad things right. that I've done? Heaven is the place where people who are forgiven, people who love Jesus, people who have a relationship with him, that's for heaven. Absolutely. Then the, the other side to this is second part of the question. How does this inform the mission of the Salvation Army? Like, so we affirm you, you very clearly articulated what you believe on this subject. So then what does that mean for the mission of your denomination? Sadly, I think we are as a denomination. I think we are less clear than we used to be. Um, I think we were more driven in our earlier days about the horrors of hell and the joys of heaven. Yeah. Um, this is just my own opinion. I can't, I do not speak on behalf of the Salvation Army. I understand my place and I'll stay in my lane. Um, but my own, excuse me, my own study of Salvation Army history indicates that we were far more outspoken. We were far more decisive. We were far clearer in our understanding then than I think we are now. And it prompted us to do incredible things. We would take what people now would call crazy risks to save someone from hell. I have an old orders and regulations from I think 1900. So this is, this is still Booth overseeing this and talking about <clears throat> how to save the roughs. The, yeah. the, the undesirable people, the, the criminal element, the, yeah. the, 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 the rough people. And so he starts off that section with sort of a tongue-in-cheek tongue approach, saying, uh, if you don't want to reach them, here's what you do. Don't go where they are. And if they happen to come where you are, don't talk to them. Oh, and he goes on this way. Then he, he turns it and says, now, if you do want to reach them, Go to them. You don't have to be in a community a day before you know those parts of town. Go there. And then he imagines a conversation with his reader. Uh, he imagines the reader saying, uh, but, but what if they kill me? Booth says, well, you die. You've <laughs> often said that you would give your life for the salvation of others. 
here's perhaps a chance. <laughs> Can you imagine putting that in writing? Yeah. But he did. We had this sense that we were going to live sacrificial lives in order to save someone from the threat of death and hell, and not just from the threat of death and hell, but so that there could be an eternity of paradise with Christ. That was far more the standard. Now we're, well, I, I think we suffocate in bubble wrap. Mm, yeah. So that, well, we want, let's insulate ourselves. Oh, oh, we don't want to get hurt. Be very careful. Don't do that. Don't go there. And I don't think we are a stronger army for that. My own opinion. Yeah. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's interesting. You bring up the O&R. I found, interestingly, that um, a place where uh, Bramwell Booth and Harold Begbie, the official bi biographer, um, both said that the 1886 version of the O&R for field officers was the th one piece of literature that William Booth put more time in than anything else. And it shows because it's 680 pages long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that that section on rust. So I mean, if we want to kind of understand where he now, of course, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, William Booth doesn't carry the same authority as Scripture. And we rooted this all no. in Scripture. So like, nevertheless, like, but it is interesting <laughs> to to see those historical connections. Okay, the next question, and I'm jumping ahead on the ones I sent you because I wasn't able, I didn't have time to get through all of them with Christina. Um, should the Salvation Army change its position on issues related to human sexuality? If so, how should it change? Let me start by saying, obviously, this is highly emotionally charged right. around the world. This is not a subject that, um, that people are emotionally neutral about. This is highly personal. Uh, this is very close to the heart. I do understand this. This sort of touches back to our original discussion at the front. What does scripture say first? Now, ab above all, should we be loving? Should we be kind? Should we be accepting? Should we embrace? Absolutely. In a nutshell, should we be Christ-like? A, a resounding yes. But as far as changing our position, it's been affirmed and confirmed that marriage, for instance, is between one man, one woman. The Salvation Army has affirmed and confirmed that as our theological, our biblical, our denominational position. So here's what I would ask. I would answer the question with a question. If, in fact, our previous view or views if, in fact, they have been and are based on Scripture, has Scripture changed? Right. If Scripture hasn't changed, I don't see the license for my view to change as a salvationist. Now, my practice should still be, I'm just reiterating now, my practice okay. should still be to embrace, to love, to support, to house, to take care of, Anyone who comes to us, are they welcome in our meetings? Absolutely. To change our theological position, well, unless and until Scripture changes, I'm bound by Scripture. And until I see that Scripture has a different position, I don't feel that I am at liberty to say, well, I'm going to just sort of negate that part because that's that's uncomfortable. Yeah, that's great. In, in every salvationist, and, and, and I consider those who claim to be salvationists not an advisory board member, maybe not an employee, but those who have signed no. the Soldier's Covenant, yes, or the Articles yes. of War. Soldier's or Covenant, Officer's Covenant, covenant, covenant Junior Soldier Covenant. Yes, absolutely. I would agree with you. Yes. And I think there's, a, I mean, there's a, there could be a conversation about it being stronger, like that maybe some of those commitments should be upheld or at least respected uh, on another another area. But I'm wondering from your perspective, like, oh, let me back up. So Articles of Faith, or not just Articles of Faith, the Soldier's Covenant, we have that we will uphold the sanctity of marriage and family life outside of our doctrines, which I think then lay the groundwork for this as well. Um, 
but at least we have that clarity there. The orders and regulations for soldiers, which just came out a couple of years ago, again, articulate the same thing. We've had a variety of positions that have been described through the years. Nevertheless, um, some might even suggest we need to do more. Like, is there anything more that we should say? Anything should the Salvation Army be clearer in what we what are what's the foundation? Because it seems like, and this is where it's easier for me to say this no longer as an officer, it seems like we're a little shy. Like we're we're really quick to say, don't worry, we love everybody and we're welcoming everybody and we'll debunk the myths that are out there, but we're not as as uh, quick to say what we actually believe in public. I I don't know. First off, if that's the case, I don't know why it is. Um, I don't think we have anything to shy away from if we simply choose to stand on the authority of the word. Yeah. I, I think you can do that and be loving. I think you can do that and be accepting. I'll put that in air quotes because uh, these days words have all sorts of different meanings. Right. Um, I think you can do that and and love the person. Yeah. I don't have to I don't have to agree with your lifestyle. Um for me to love you, to serve you, to house you, to to care for you, to clothe you, to include you in our in our meetings. Um so I think instead of and this is just my own answer, let me repeat. I can't speak on behalf of the entire Salvation Army. I think when we stand on scripture, uh, does that mean that we eliminate the criticisms? No, not at all. But I'd rather I'd rather take the criticisms while standing on scripture than step away and find myself uh, losing my footing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be really appropriate for the Salvation Army to even have now, not necessarily, if we were to say, join it, if let's say today, Wesley Biblical Seminary started an initiative and all, all the denominations that we serve from the Global Methodist Church and Nazarene Church, Free Methodists, and, and the Salvation Army too, we serve the Salvation Army. If we had a statement that says, you know, Wesleyans who believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, there'd be no, we, we came up with a nice, tidy statement. It'd be right for the Salvation Army to sign on to that statement and to like just affirm this because of our understanding of scripture. So I'm just getting in my little, I, I think that I, I would, I would challenge the, the, I would hope that in the future, all denominations in this tradition that hold the biblical authority would be willing to do what you just said. And that is to say that we stand on scripture and we have a generous approach to welcoming people at the same time, holding these clear beliefs. Anything you want to add to that before I go to the next question? No, I think I'm, I've said all I'm, I'm going to say. I, I didn't want, I started talking a little longer than I normally do there. So, okay. Next one, in light of what we just talked about in the, the relationship with doctrines and ethics. And I think that's clearly defined within the articles. Uh, I keep on saying uh, the soldier's covenant. I came the articles of faith, the therefore, you know, we have the, we yeah. believes and then the, we wills or we, I will. I wills. Those are the ethical statements. Yes. So with that, what does accountability look like for salvationists in, in the light of how those two things interact together, doctrine and ethics? I think it's very interesting in that uh, and you and so many others uh, understand this very well, full well. Salvationism, having come from Methodism, um, while we didn't establish something exactly or precisely like the um, the the bands, you know, where where we would hold, yeah. uh, there still was a holding of one another accountable. Uh, we we are less likely, or we're less engaging and less embracing of wanting to be held accountable these days. Um, I should people be held accountable? Absolutely. I think that there is something. Excuse me. When I when I sit with people who know me well, who have permission to ask me anything and I tell them I will answer truthfully, they can examine, they can probe. And here's why I think there's value to the accountability of that. 
I can't see in my blind spots. They call them blind spots for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there are clearly areas of my life, things that I do, I'm not aware of, uh, actions that maybe I'm committing that I think they're being perceived one way, but they're being perceived completely differently. I can't see that for myself. And I think that there is something helpful to accountability when someone speaks into my life. Now, if if I have gone on record, and by definition, every salvationist, I'm talking, as you were saying, uh, people who have signed a junior soldier pledge, a soldier's covenant, an officer's covenant, I have gone on record as saying, this is the way, not just that I want to live, this is how I will live. This is what you can expect from me. This is what's reasonable. These are now the values I claim. I have I have nailed my flag to the staff. This is me. And so by, by that declaration, when and if I am inconsistent, shouldn't someone in love, absolutely in love, take me aside and say, how you, you're kind of missing the mark here. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're, you're not exactly you, you, now, not, not from a legalistic standpoint, not, not just for the rigidity of, of the do's and don'ts of it. No, but if this is what I've declared, I want to do, if, if this is what I'm declaring as my values, if, and when that slips, I want someone to call me on that. And I yeah. think that by declaring my intention in front of others, yeah. this is, this is uh, okay, let me finish one thought before I go to another. So by declaring my intent in front of others, which is what you do as a junior soldier, as a senior soldier, as an officer, I think that is at least implicit permission to hold me accountable. Now, um, I think that there is a parallel. You Like all parallels, they, they go so far. With marriage, another covenant. Yeah. So by declaring in public, I am committing myself to this woman, this man, um, you are in effect challenging those who are there. If I don't hold up to this, call me on it. Yeah. If I'm not being faithful to these vows, to this covenant I've entered, come and tell me, why are you, why are you, it seems like you're flirting. Why are you flirting? Yeah, yeah. You've committed yourself. Yes, yes. And so I I see a very close parallel in that. So a long way around. That's good. Let me give you a, let me give you a scenario. I'm going to use one that's outside of the sexual revolution. How about that? Uh, So we, uh, both um, junior soldiers, senior soldiers, officers, by the fact that they are soldiers, um, make commitments about their the stewardship of their resources. So if you were to find a Salvation Army officer, and I, this might have happened, I pray it didn't, but who embezzled money, right? Who was using money inappropriately. What does accountability look like in that scenario, Commissioner? Well, now there may very well be legal accountabilities as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think there are legal accountabilities. I think there are ethical, ethical and moral accountabilities. And certainly there, there is the accountability from what you have pledged and covenanted to do. And I think still in love and depending on, on the specific situations, what you're talking about, can it be done without shouting it from the rooftop, rooftops to embarrass someone? Right, uh, if right. there's a way that restitution can be made and I'm not talking about covering it over, but if this is something we can we can take care of, and uh, well, I'm, I'm still coming down to they've got to be held accountable. Yeah, there is accountability that must at some point work itself out. Yeah, so it's not just, but it is also, and it's right for this to happen on matters of human sexuality of finances of anything that we commit ourselves to, and that's part of growing in holiness. Okay. I'm going to get down to what is listed as the 10th question, and this is connected. And now one of the things, and I said this to, um, I said this as well to Christina, is that it's disappointing to me to know that the Salvation Army has clearly articulated beliefs about human sexuality, as we've already indicated, but yet I see a variety of sections of the Salvation Army moving against the direction that we've all covenanted to, right? We we are un, under that system, so that's all. That's hard for me. So that's kind of like the heart of this question. But what should be the consequence of a leader? Rather, it's 
international, territorial, divisional, or front line, what should be the consequence of someone who does not remain aligned to these guardrails? Well, now you specifically brought up uh, the human sexuality piece, but it's it's far it's far broader. That's that's just one small yeah, sure. sliver of any number of ways that perhaps someone could be um, less than true to to the covenants that they've made and and all that it entails. Um, don't let this sound like waffling here. I think it, it it's going to still depend on what has happened and what is the person willing to do. Um, is will will a person accept correction, mm-hmm. or will they be adamant that no, this is my view, and here I stand, and I I can do no other. Right. Um, well, if you are, if you find yourself inconsistent, out of alignment with the pledges, the covenants that you've entered into, uh, I'm not, I, I don't know that it's necessarily for the Salvation Army to act, but why wouldn't the individual, him or herself, choose to remove themselves from, from the situation? Right. Um, and earlier, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean that's a very dramatic thing you just said. I'm gonna I'm gonna push push a little bit there. You said why has that person not removed themselves? Now this is gonna sound harsh, but I think she'd be willing to have the conversation with me. And she said she might even like have a cup of coffee and we could hug, right? But after after our conversation's over, somebody like Christina, who when whenever you get a chance to listen to that conversation, articulated a theology that, that would not be consistent with what the Salvation Army says. Should somebody um if they've changed their view, should they leave this situation? If leave uh, leave this zone of ministry? This will sound weak need again. Okay. I think it depends on what if 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 we're talking about something theological, something doctrinal, something in keeping with Salvation Army practice. I don't mean just. Um, I think I'm going to wear a green tie with my uniform. Okay. Right, right. No one's going to go to heaven or hell because of a green tie. Right. Um, so if if we're talking about of something substantive, substantial, um, there there was an earlier, well, no, uh, I'll go to the undertakings, the the undertake, especially as a salvation army. So you're I think you were framing this in the context of of leadership. That's right. Um, in the undertakings, the current undertakings. It clearly states, I declare my belief in the truths of the doctrines of the Salvation Army. I will teach them faithfully. I will seek to make my life a reflection of these truths. The officer covenant pledges that I will maintain the principle, the doctrines and the principles of the Salvation Army. The yeah. soldier's covenant states, I believe and will live by the truths of the word of God expressed in the Salvation Army's 11 articles of faith. I will be faithful and true to the principles, the purposes and the principles and the practices of the Salvation Army. If if you can no longer in good conscience hold that covenant, why would someone insist and persist? I'm not trying to show somebody the door, but... Why, why would you choose to stay in a setting where you are clearly and intentionally, and for reasons that make sense to you, you are out of step with what you have declared? That, wow. That's an inconsistency that I can't quite square. Yeah, this is, a, this is hard. You said an interesting thing. You said, well, about the green tie, uh, it's not a matter of heaven or hell. And I think what, we've, what I've been hearing is that, cons- I, I think you'd affirm this, consistently, willfully <laughs> sinning is puts your eternal fate in jeopardy of not being in heaven and being the experiencing the eternal punishment of the wicked. I, I, I know we might not use that language, and I certainly wouldn't use that language if I was in an evangelizing situation, but I would suggest that that is a reality. So continue. So if we are to come along and all of a sudden we start saying, no, no, you can live this way. You can keep cheating on your wife continually and having three wives, let's say, like you can keep on doing that and it's all going to be okay. And I'm not going to judge you. The most important thing is that you're not harmed by me. And at the same time, I'm going to just make this little subtle shift. 
that in that in my view, if we really believe that intentional willful sin moving away from somebody is going to lead somebody to eternal punishment, it's not a loving thing to not hold them accountable. I think I think we do um, in private, definitely in love for sure. And scripture tells us if they don't listen to what brings somebody else. So I think yeah. we follow what scripture tells us if they persist. I'm trying to put it on the person rather than on the Salvation Army. That's why, right. If, if why would you want to stay with a movement that you don't align with? Yeah. There was a time. Um, now we've had a couple of editions of orders and regulations for soldiers, uh, but there was a time when toward the uh, well, chapter one. I can quote this chapter and verse. I've got it on my screen here. <clears throat> chapter one, section two. On the soldier's covenant, um, point one, though the army soldiers are drawn from various cultures, traditions, and races as well. Okay, fine. Um, let me get down to it. Um, in 1890, it was stated as a regulation that every Salvation soldier must consider, accept, and then sign the Articles of War. Yeah. This requirement is enforced today, as are its reasons, which are reproduced here. A that he may understand beforehand the doctrines, principles, and practices to which he will have to conform. Yeah. B, thinking and praying over this covenant will help him to find out whether he is whether he really has the faith and spirit of a Salvation Army soldier, a Salvation soldier or not. C, uh, the pledge involved in signing the covenant will help him to be faithful to the army. Then listen to letter D. The covenant, looking at it beforehand, working through it with people in soldiership classes. Right. The covenant may prevent many joining who are not in heart and head with us and who consequently would likely be afterwards to create dissatisfaction and division. So if you don't, if you don't, and God bless you if you don't align. Um, oh, yeah. And, and please don't hear this in an arrogant way. Let us help you find somewhere in the vineyard Absolutely. Where, where you do, where, where you are more effective, where, where your views align with others. Let us help you. Find, I'm not trying, I'll say again, I'm not trying to show someone the door. And I understand also the Salvation, I'm getting really raspy, sorry. <laughs> I understand the Salvation Army is an acquired taste. We're not everybody's cup of tea. I get that. But if if you don't align, or if you start off with us and somewhere along the line you you no longer align, let's take a look at that together. And if we can't bring someone back into alignment, then let's work together because this is all about the kingdom, isn't it? Yeah. Let's work together to find where in the overall kingdom work there might be meaningful work for you to do because in the Salvation Army, headbutting isn't going to get anybody saved. Right. And there's plenty of that now. And it's very interesting what's happened. Yeah, I'm sure you've had this scenario too, particularly like we. I served for 15 years in the Southern Territory and you served as a Corps officer in several locations. I mean, I would have somebody who's very committed <clears throat> to the Army. I get them maybe for a couple of um months they would be a part of the activity of the congregation and they would get actively involved in ministry take them to soldiership classes and then we get to dr nine now they should have heard it in my preaching but nevertheless it's like whoa 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 uh, i can't i, I can't obedience. affirm that that obedience. Yeah. so many times like what do you mean it's i'm not uh once saved always saved uh and at that point i'm not gonna say well well don't worry about it we don't really push that well we don't no like and the same thing would be if there was an if there was an officer who's like articulating something outside of the tradition about of, of what we have covenanted together to do, why we exist as an entity, how we are focused ontologically. If that's the case, like we're not like the only right thing to do is to say you're outside of that. And no. now that now that's not how I would say it. Like this no, should, no, no. I appreciate the pastoral pastorally sensitive way that you're talking about this. I imagine we both have people in mind when we've had to do have these conversations. Mm. So I think I've it's helpful for us before. to realize that, 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 that's the, that's the loving conversation. I've been in settings before 
outside of the context of, of the, well, I do this here in the Southern Territory as well, but outside the context of the Southern Territory, where I've had the, the, the blessing of being able to speak to cadets, um, those who are in Salvation Army Seminary, those who are studying to become officers. And when we talk about doctrine, I will encourage them exactly along the lines you're describing. Don't stop with doctrine eight. Hmm. Be sure to preach doctrine nine about the necessity of obedience. Don't stop at nine. We need to know, understand about the privilege of sanctification. And of course, nobody wants to hear about doctrine 11 with judgment. Oh, golly, golly. No, if people do not hear about the, the possibility, well, not, well, the, the certainty of judgment, but the possibility yeah. that you'll be at that judgment, yeah, yeah. Um, then if we, if we're not warning them, my Lord, we're, we're off base. And then someone needs to hold us accountable. And if we don't affirm those things, those last three articles of faith, then we have completely changed what the organization is. You know, what and we we're not being true to our covenants. That's right. I love that. Now, I'm going to give a personal example here, and this might seem kind of critical of me, but uh, I felt called to serve in theological education outside of the Salvation Army's off officership system. Now, that was a very hard decision to come to, and it was like I felt the Lord leading me there. But, you know, Commissioner, you you were a part of this, like, and it was all done in all love and kindness, and we had good conversations about, like, what I was doing. But essentially, I, I couldn't come to you and just say, you know, I really want to stay an officer, but I'm going to exist. I'm not going to wear a uniform ever, anymore because I'm going to be at this theological institution, and I'm going to be doing this, and you can't move me anymore. What did I do? I came to you and, you know, through the system of the Salvation Army and said, I, I, I'm going to need to leave because this is where I'm feeling called to serve. Now, I still can be a part of the Salvation Army in certain other ways, but I couldn't function as an officer with this new calling. So I just want to give, give, give myself as an example of somebody who's received this pastoral conversation. Now, uh, just very quickly, I'll bet you the folks there at Wesley wouldn't mind if you wore your uniform. Oh, there you go. Um, I have now, occasionally. Listen, here's, here's what I understand. Uh, I'm not a deep theological thinker, but I understand this. On that last day, no one's going to stand before the general of the Salvation Army, me. We're, we're going to stand before the Lord to give an account then. Yeah. Um, and how we behave, what we've done with the blessings, with the opportunities, how we have stewarded all of that. That's what we're going to be held accountable to, or, or answerable for. And so if... If I find myself consistently out of step with covenants that I've made, I think something needs to be done. I think I need to do something about that. Yeah. Something that the individual is comfortable with and that they're willing to be held accountable for, not by me, yeah. not by the Salvation Army, but on that day. Yeah. Yep. There is that day coming. We believe in general judgment at the end of the world. <laughs> like this is this there that that time is coming. Okay, Commissioner, I have a little bit more time. I'd like to just outside of the questions that we had. Um, what what are you hoping could come? Not necessarily a name of a person, but the High Council is coming around here soon. What do you hope comes um, as a result of the election of a new general? Well, it's an easy answer, and people are going to think that I'm being far too general. Okay. Um, what I'm hoping is what every salvationist hopes and prays for. Hope is not a strategy. Yeah. Uh, so what we're all praying for is clarity in the minds of the members of the high council, absolute clarity, spiritual discernment, so that the person God would have is elected. Yeah. And let me just confirm something. Uh, everybody suspects it, but let me let me say that it's true. The High Council is absolutely bathed in prayer by the council members themselves. And as you would know, and as you would expect, the worldwide Salvation Army has already collectively hit their knees. Yeah. And, and they've already begun to be in prayer for this process. There is great soul searching. There is, there's any number of folks who attend the High Council who even fast for a significant portion of it. Uh, during mealtimes, they're in the prayer room wanting to make sure, oh Lord, speak clearly so that I don't misunderstand. Oh Lord, 
let me have a spirit of discernment. Oh, Lord, move among the members. And that's not with any specific name in mind that that, that prayer is offered. And yeah. so I also know that God hasn't begun pacing the floor of heaven. Uh, he's not begun biting his nails. Oh, what are we going to do about the salvation? He's He's got this. He knows this and knows what he's going to do with, for, and about us. Yeah. So okay. I'm. this is not left to us. Um, I'm comfortable. Uh, oh, gosh, I'm going to get my my story incorrect here. When um, when Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar is the one that went mad and um, uh, wound up, you know, with talons like a like a, a bird of prey and his hair all matted. Um, and this will be for a season until you realize, Nebuchadnezzar, that the Lord God is sovereign and he puts who he wants in these kingdoms. God will put who he wants. I'm not talking, uh, I'm, I'm not talking about predestination here. I'm, I'm not being absolutist in that sense. God, God isn't going to say, well, here's who I had in mind, but golly, the high council overrode me. I guess I'm stuck. No, God has this. Am I still praying? Absolutely. Um, and I know that the members will be in round-the-clock prayer. Mm -hmm. And people already around the world, in these worldwide prayer meetings that we're still continuing to have, at least here in the Southern Territory, we've already begun praying about and for the High Council. Beautiful. Well, Commissioner, one of the things I always ask, my podcast is called More to the Story. And I ask people, is there more to the story than is typically told of Willis Howell? Is there something that, uh, some hobby that you have, something that people might not know about you? Um, well, to those who know me, I, I, I think I'm pretty much an open book. Um, so I don't think that there's any little aspect. There's probably plenty of quirks. Um, I do. Well, in retirement, I get to play my horn more. Oh, do you? Uh, I, I enjoy music. You know that. And we've had a few spiritual to the bone uh, yeah. concerts that I've gotten to play at. Friends, this is um, the original bass trombone player of Spiritual to the Bone, in case you didn't know that. Keep going, keep going. To all five of the people who know what you're talking about, yes. <laughs> uh, I even get to play in a in, in some of the jazz bands here in uh, in the Atlanta area. Are you gigging and, like outside the Salvation Army? Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. And are you making a little money? It's not, a, it's not for pay. Okay. These are just bands that play for the fun of it. I bet and, they were happy um, when you walked it, in. Well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story in a moment, but it's also a place because being on the, on the Evangeline Booth College campus so much, yeah. you're, you, you really are in, in church world bubble, army world yeah. bubble. And so this is an intentional stepping out of the bubble so I can be with people on, on different terms. Uh, and I will always give them a, well, God bless you. Uh, oh, it's great to see you. God bless you today. Um, I want to be in settings that is not that are not saturated with and overrun by believers. I want to be out there. Uh, and you talk about, oh, they're glad when I well, I played a job maybe a month ago, and I'm sitting next to uh, an older gentleman. Come to find out, um, his name's Harry Maddox. Now that means nothing to you nor uh, many of the here. No, Harry Maddox was the principal trombone for the Atlanta Symphony for over 30 years. Wow. And so, boy, there's a little pucker factor. You're going to make sure you're, you're playing your A game. Uh, so I get, I get to sit next to people like that, and I get to play my horn a little bit more. So that's enjoyable. That's um, People know that I enjoy music, but you don't know that I get to play a little bit more right now. That's fine. Do you get to play a banjo still? I do still play my banjo. Okay. Not as often. I used to go, I used to do that on a Sunday night after uh, meetings. There was a, a bluegrass jam festival. Leave, leave your comments to yourselves, folks. <laughs> um, where we would all show up at this particular restaurant and it was all these bluegrass musicians. And the way it would work is you keep going around the circle and everybody calls the tune that they're going to play. So they'd come to me. Well, Willis, what do you want to, what do you want to do? 
And so here's the opportunity for my witness again. I'd use gospel songs. Yeah, there you um, go. Let's do um, Standing on the Promises. You guys know Standing on the Promises. Oh, yeah, 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 we know that. Um, so we, in fact, uh, we talked about Christina Tyson. I played with her her husband, Keith. We would stand down on Cuba Street and, and collect. He would play his guitar. I played my banjo. And so uh, now there it was a witness out to the people in the open air. But here I get to just let's let's sing some gospel songs as we're going around picking bluegrass songs together. So I don't get to do that as often because honestly, the restaurant burned down. Oh, man. So there it was. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time, Willis. It's great to spend some time with you. Appreciate the clarity that you're able to bring this conversation. My hope that it's helpful for the Salvation Army to see both sides of the conversation. So I appreciate you representing this side so well. Well, thank you so much, Andy. Good to talk to you, friend. God bless you and thank you again.